pastor says something like, God speaks to us through his word, which is a true statement. You can go away from that very confused if there's not somebody alongside you helping you to understand what is meant by that statement. It's not that God can only speak to you while you're actively reading his word. And so those are the kinds of confusions that occur because the philosophy is correct, but the methodology is incorrect in the life of that person. Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of General Order 4. On today's episode, Pastor Stewart and I are going to be talking about how the Lord worked in our life to make our methodology of discipleship match the philosophy. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of General Order 4. And we are excited to uh, start working on some issues at hand. The thing we're talking about today, uh, we wanted to kind of give a little bit of our personal history and story on how the Lord has developed us in this idea of discipleship. And um, so we, one of the things that I personally began to notice in my own life was that the philosophy of discipleship that I had was not meeting the methodology that I had. Um, at that time, and the tools that were available to me did not quite meet up with what I was finding in Scripture and the ideas that I understood about discipleship and the philosophy that the Lord had given me uh, and through different mentors, through different teachers, and through what I was finding in God's Word. And I, the tools that I had in my hands were not fit for the job at hand. And so the same thing is true of, of Pastor Stewart. And so today we're just kind of going to go through a little bit of our history with how the Lord worked um, um, in our lives and in our minds to give us the tools that were necessary to match the philosophy about discipleship that we had. So, uh, Pastor Stewart, I appreciate you being with me. It's good to be here with you today and looking forward to this discussion. Yeah, and so I wanted to just kind of throw the ball into your court and let you give a little history. I know we've done an interview with you before and you've given some of that history, um, but describe for me, if you will, what the philosophy about discipleship is and really has been for quite a while, and then how the Lord equipped you with the tools um, that you needed in order to do that. Sure. In the circles that uh, that I was saved as uh, as a result of, the church that I was attending was a, a Baptist church, and uh, the, the, the college that the pastor there recommended uh, was uh, a widely accepted Baptist college. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I was getting saved as I was starting to, to understand the scriptures and I was starting to uh, sense that God was calling me into the ministry. Um, all of these circles, all these places had a clear understanding of the Great Commission as far as the gospel needing to go out, uh, missionaries being sent out to start churches around the world, uh, mm-hmm. that we needed to support those churches, uh, that we needed to see those people uh grow up and and be Christ-like people. Uh, I get to Bible college, I start listening to what we're taught in classes, and it wasn't too long after I got there that I started to have this inconsistency or this disconnect between what I would be taught in class and what I would actually see in actual the actual method or the actual execution of these uh, of the ministry so as we would as i would witness these things for instance one time uh, i was coming out of the class on on how to interpret scripture and one of the things that they taught us which is correct 
was that you're to interpret scripture in its context and mm-hmm. you're not to take it out of its context. Right. And then I went down to chapel <laughs> and I'm sitting in <laughs> chapel and the, the president of our college <clears throat> who had pastored for many years in many, in many different churches around the country who had uh, a fairly uh, significant name in the, in the circles I went in. So we're not talking about somebody that's obscure he stands in the pulpit as well as other staff members and begin to take verses out of their context and use those verses to either rally us around a, a, a goal or a vision for the school, uh, a, uh, to rally us around supporting and getting our home churches to support the school. And he would take verses that were intended for the church and in the context of the church, and they would rip it out of its context. Mm-hmm. And so I started to see these inconsistencies then, didn't really fully understand what all of that meant, but it started to bother me. And then as I would get into the ministry and identify uh, either weaknesses in my ability to do ministry or in weaknesses that I would see in the church as a whole, and I started to try and seek for the answers to those things. And in those six to seven years that I was assistant pastor and youth pastor, I was mm-hmm. identifying these things. And these inconsistencies were coming up over and over again. But then when I got to be the pastor and I started reading First and Second Timothy and Titus more regularly to make sure that I knew what I was going to be held accountable for, I realized that there was a big disconnect between how I was introduced to ministry over the years and and how I had seen it modeled. Although the philosophy and understanding of discipleship is important and the gospel is important and missions is important and all of these things are important, but I never saw it lived out until that time and I started begging God. And that's when he brought, as I've told you before in earlier episodes, of how God brought the man that was there when I got saved, and he had since learned how to disciple. And then he also brought a friend, uh, it, uh, not back into my life, but uh, had taught him how to disciple. And between the two of them, they started sharing with me a very practical tool and a practical model by which the church can accomplish what Christ modeled for us. And I trust that in our earlier episodes, we've established that the discipleship model is Christ's model. It is the scriptural mm-hmm. model. And uh, and the, the wonderful thing is that as I began to understand this, as I began to practice it and began to implement it, it has solved so many of the concerns. It has liberated me as a pastor to focus on the important things and to be able to discern what those are. And a lot of the inconsistencies and a lot of the disconnects have been connected and now are not a as much of an issue of taking things out of context, but it has helped me to be more efficient in my ministry, mm-hmm. uh, not to say that I've arrived because I haven't. There are still disconnects. There are still things that in the Western world, the way we do church, uh, that I'm seeing that need to be adjusted or tweaked. But uh, as God reveals those to me, we're open to his leadership. Again, not from uh, mankind, but from his word and from the leadership of his Holy Spirit. Yeah, I think I have I have a similar story, really, 
um, maybe a little bit different than yours because we weren't exactly in the same circles. But I will say this: the I think most people, if they if they if they if you ask them what discipleship is or what the purpose of discipleship is, they're going to have a similar answer um, because they have a philosophy that is at least very close to the philosophy that that. As Christians, we pretty much all, if we're taking a good look at the scripture, we have a philosophy about discipleship that is leading people to Christ. I mean, that's you're, you're leading them to Christ in salvation, and then you're continuing to lead them to Christ likeness in discipleship, and that's really what we're after. The discipleship process is that of me taking you to Christ, taking you to Christ, taking you to Christ until you bring yourself to Christ, and I don't have to be in the picture anymore. You know, um, in that the teaching, teaching a uh, teaching a man to fish, right? And I think all of us kind of hold that philosophy, but we don't have the practical tools to accomplish the philosophy because we've never been given those tools and we've never had the opportunity to have those things available to us. And so for me, the the story was somewhat similar. I grew up in great churches. I grew up in church. Um, I got saved at a very early age fantastic church. I still have a great relationship with the pastor that I grew up under who's still pastoring there. Um, I've been in three different independent Baptist churches um, throughout my life. All three of them are very strong churches and they they hold things that are doctrinally true and solid and they know why they believe those things. But the process of discipleship hasn't necessarily corresponded with the philosophy that they've held. And uh, again, I think a lot of that is they have the, the, the pastors of those places or leadership has never had the tools available to them, um, like the tools that have been given to me um, from others and by, by the Holy Spirit. And so we kind of wanted to talk today about how that philosophy and methodology can merge and how why, why they need to be the same. You and I were talking before we started recording, and one of the things that we were talking about is how if... Th- the first generation has cracks in what they believe. The second generation has more cracks and mm-hmm. the third generation has even more cracks. And those cracks are developed not because the scripture isn't solid. So if you are scriptural and you have a scriptural philosophy, then your philosophy tends to be solid. The methodology is where those cracks begin to happen. And and though that when you don't have the tools that match the philosophy that you're trying to get across to people, the cracks begin to develop and they develop deeper and deeper throughout the generations. And that's when you start getting people who are following individuals instead of following Christ or referencing what this person said 40 years ago sure. instead of talking about what the Bible says. To kind of illust- illustrate that, I think I tell you, uh, I grew up in church from the earliest days that I can remember. I'm mm-hmm. told that the uh, second Sunday after I was born, I was in church, and I can guarantee you from the earliest days I can remember I was attending church. I didn't get saved until I was 18, and uh, but I was in Sunday school. I was in a Christian school, so I had Bible classes. I had chapels. I had Sunday school. It was I had Bible instruction probably six out of seven days a week, at least during the school year, and then still had vacation Bible schools in the summer and other mm-hmm. things. So in my first 18 years, I had a lot of Bible given to me through teaching and through instruction and through preaching. Uh, I attended, uh, when I first attended Bible college, I was in a Bible history class. 
and uh, the church I was in, I believe, desired for me to grow. I believe they wanted me to be saved. I believe they wanted to see me uh, serve God with my life. When I announced that uh, God had called me to the ministry, they rejoiced with me. I mean, this is what would be considered at that time a good Bible-believing church. Uh, and I believe that to be uh, the heart of the majority of the people there, including the pastor and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Where the disconnect came was that there was nobody when I got saved. I was there for another year, my senior year of high school, and I had nobody take me under the wing. I was involved in the youth department. Mm-hmm. My family had been involved in the church and the Christian school a lot, but nobody ever took me under their wing, my under their wing, to be able to ensure that I was being taught to observe, to do these things. Yeah, sink or swim mentality. Yeah, and and it was, I'm sure the youth pastor told me to read my Bible and pray every day. I'm sure the pastor mentioned that from the pulpit, but nobody ever really showed me how to do that. Mm -hmm. And so when I get to Bible college, I've really, even to that point, had never personally read the scriptures for myself, outside of anything that my mom would have us do for a morning devotions before we would go to school. But even then, it was I was told to read this, so I read it, but it wasn't me having a desire to go to God's Word and get something out of it. And so I'm sitting in this Bible class, uh, Bible history class, and the professor's telling a story, and I forget which Bible uh, account or story it was, but uh, you know, let's just for instance, it was David and Goliath, or one of the familiar stories. And then he starts telling details about the story that I had never recalled hearing. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want my former Sunday school teachers to get upset if they happen to be listening. I probably <laughs> wasn't paying close attention, but I never recounted or recalled the preacher or my Sunday school teachers or my Bible teachers ever me- telling me these details of this very familiar Old Testament Bible story. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, brilliant me, I raised my hand and I challenged the, the professor on it. I found out very quickly that was a foolish thing to do. But <laughs> it was a helpful thing in this because the professor said, what's your name, young man? This is a class of about 150 students to 200 students. And and so I made a name for myself pretty quick at Bible college, the the ignorant one, (laughs) the one that didn't know much about the Bible, but thought he did. And so the professor gave me an assignment that evening, a homework assignment just to me. And I had to go read the whole account of that uh, passage of scripture uh, for myself that night and then come and report back to the class the next morning, whether he was right or whether I was right. And, uh, Sure enough, the professor was right. That that element of that story, of that account in Scripture was there. But because I had never read it for myself, I had relied mm-hmm. on teachers and chapel speakers and pastors and everybody else. And we all know, or most of us know, that we can't tell the whole account. We can't tell the whole story when we're preaching on something. Mm-hmm. There's usually not enough time to, to give the full, uh, you know, every detail of the story. And so whatever reason why I missed that, but what I learned that day was I need to read God's word for myself. But again, I didn't have anybody to really go to. They just kind of impressed upon me that this needed to happen. And it really wasn't until much later in my walk with the Lord that I began to have a daily habit of reading my Bible. 
Now, with that being said, during all of these years, my dad was very faithful in reading every day. So this is something that I had modeled for me, even in my own father, mm-hmm. but I did not in- integrate that into my own life, and there was nobody really doing a double check on me. Mm-hmm. And so with the model of discipleship, when we take somebody under our wing and we teach them the importance of God's Word, we then help them to get into the uh habit of communicating god communicating with them on a regular basis Mm -hmm. in his word and so this is just one example and i'm sure i'm not alone in my disconnect on reading god's word as a as a believer right i'm sure there are many people in the pews sitting there each week that don't read their bible so how is we as pastors us as ministers those that have led people to the lord we're responsible to make sure that they understand and know the importance of that. And then Mm -hmm. they have to make the decision to put it into practice, but we certainly should be there to encourage them and help them and motivate them to want to do that. My, my wife was speaking with a friend just the other day, her friend said, speaking of how God's word works in your life, she said, I always had the idea that, that God spoke to me through the word And she said, I was always so confused when I would read the Bible and feel like God hadn't spoken to me right then and there as I was reading the scripture. And she said, I would go away from reading the scripture defeated, thinking that I had failed somehow. And she said, it was only later that I realized that it was throughout the day as I thought about what I read that God spoke to me. It wasn't the actual act of reading. Um, Or, and sometimes it can be the act of reading, but... Mm -hmm she'd never been taught that, that yeah. meditation is more than just sitting down and reading the Bible. That is, it's, it's something that develops in you as you sit and you chew on that. And as you consume that, and sometimes randomly throughout the day, passages of scripture that you've read, haven't read recently, but you know, just appear in your head, you know, and the Holy spirit put it there. And it's something that you're thinking about and it can be a blessing to you and a help to you. Um, but again, those are the kinds of things that, should be taught to an individual and they shouldn't run around feeling defeated because they didn't get something out of God's word today in air quotes. Um, that that's, you know, but if, if you're a baby Christian and you're going to church and the pastor says something like God speaks to us through his word, which is a true statement. You can go away from that very confused. If there's not somebody alongside you helping you to understand what is meant by that statement. It's not that God can only speak to you while you're actively reading his word, you know? And so those are the kinds of confusions that occur because the philosophy is correct. God does speak to us through his word, but the methodology is incorrect in the life of that person because someone hasn't taught them that the tools that they have in God's word is not just while you're actively reading his word, but all day long, all throughout the day, that word is going to work in your heart and your mind. And that's just another example, again, of how the philosophy and the methodology or the tools haven't met or haven't merged like they should. And one of the things that you, when you were talking that, that illustrated that point, you were talking about um, how you were taught in Sunday school and you were taught in church. And that's what you were living your life on. But that isn't enough. And Mm -hmm. you would agree with that statement. I'm the same way. I didn't get serious about my Christian walk until late junior high school. 
And even then, I can't say that I was super faithful about reading God's word on a regular basis. And that's become more and more of a thing in my life as I've gotten older and strive to follow the Lord. But I've been saved since I was a child. Mm -hmm. So, and again, the same story. I I would get up early sometimes in the morning if I had to go to, to work or I had a school event or I was in detention, which they did before school. And, um, but when I would get up, my dad was always reading his Bible. So I, I knew that he read every day, but mm-hmm. I never applied it to my life. And yeah. I'd also never had anybody kind of take me aside and say, what did you read in your Bible this morning? Because there was, there was no discipleship relationship for me. Sure. So the church and the pastors and the, and my parents even had a philosophy of discipleship that was correct, but they did not have the tools in their tool belt to do that. And so one of the things that the Lord's done in my life, the Lord has put several men in my life that have been a help to me. You're one of them. Um, But the Lord has put several men in my life that have been an aid to me in this way, because as I've gotten older, um, I feel like the Lord gave me, has given me a, a critical thinking type mind, um, where I, I naturally don't necessarily accept things at face value. I know a lot of people do. Um, but that is just an advantage that I feel like the Lord gave me naturally. I don't accept things at face value. I want to see evidence. I want to see proof of things, which can also make you a doubter, right? Yeah. So on, there's a, there's a problem on both ends of the spectrum, but because of that critical thinking that the Lord gave me, Um, the Lord also put people in my life to pair that. So at critical times in my life where I've had a problem or a discrepancy, or I've seen something that didn't seem quite right to me, the Lord has paired me with people that have been able to help me through scripture, work through that. And at a time in my life where I was confused about what discipleship was, that's when the Lord paired me with you. And so that, that critical thinking mind the Lord gave me, he also paired me with people that would help me through that. And that, that has been a blessing for me, that, that he's been able to show me some of these things. But <clears throat> I was seeing in my life discipleship talked about, but mm-hmm. never actually done. And yeah. then I would read through the scripture and I would see what Jesus did with his disciples and think, nobody does this. Or at least I'm not seeing it happen. And then I would look at the Apostle Paul and I'd see what he did with Timothy and with Titus and with Silas and with others and be like, where is this happening? And on occasion, I would get a glimpse into that. Like I'd see a preacher who came in to preach at our church who would bring a young man with him that was kind of like joined to his hip the whole time. And I think (laughs) that's awesome. Where can I be that guy? You know? Yeah. Um, But it was very rare. And I thought to myself, where, why isn't that happening? And so I began to question those things about discipleship. Is, is what I think about discipleship actually true? And what I found out is, yes, it is. The philosophy was right, but the tools that were available to me weren't matching with the philosophy that I had. And that's when God paired me uh, with, with you and with other men that have encouraged me in this way and given me some of those tools to teach other people. For example, we could look at Psalms 119, 105, and probably most of us, if not many of us, could quote that verse. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And we would Mm -hmm. say amen to that. And we would talk about how God's word has an importance in our life and all of that. But then 
the difference is that when you have a plan of attack, a intentional plan to disciple somebody, you're going to take them to a point where they actually live out that verse. And I have to be honest, early on in my walk with God, his word did not light my path. Mm-hmm. Now, it did in the sense that I was taught doctrine and I did learn things to do and not to do. But as far as it being a practical tool that when I had a question, when I needed to ask God for help, that I would actually take out his word and then look for the answer in his word in the daily reading that I was doing or the extended daily reading that I was doing, there was no practical connection with this verse and with the way I was living life or the way I was helping others to live life Mm -hmm. as God put me into ministry positions. And so we see that he says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do we really believe that? Well, if I really believe that, when I ask God for help, I'm not going to then look to the world or to another human being for advice. I'm going to look to God's word. And if I do go to another human being, I'm going to go to a human being who's going to give me God's word on the matter, not what their opinion is or what their thoughts are. This verse is not a complicated verse to understand, but it's it's sometimes hard to put into practice when you don't have the tool. Mm-hmm. And one of the tools that we use to when we disciple somebody is we actually teach them how do you go to God's word what is there and if we see in the old testament god says to the uh, to the children of israel that i'm going to answer you according to the idols in your heart and you need to get the idols out of your heart before you're going to get my answer and so there's a whole preparation of the heart to receive an answer from god and then there's the practical application of how do i find god's answers in his word it's not complicated it's not mystic it's you don't have to reach some you know super spiritual level or anything like that you just need to be showed how to do it Mm -hmm. and unfortunately i struggled a lot in my early christian walk because nobody had showed me but once they did it was like wow this is simple i mean this is important but it's it's not complicated it's Mm -hmm. how do i go to his word earlier in this same chapter we find that uh, he asks the question and then answers it um, in verse uh, nine, starting in verse nine, verse one, uh, Psalm one nineteen nine. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word? That's not just some thing where it's like, oh yeah, wow, I need to go to church and I need to listen to preaching and I need to go to Sunday school class or I need to do a Bible study or a small group. No, he said it's by taking heed according to thy word. Mm-hmm. His, the, the writer of this psalm, David, understood that God's word was going to be the thing that directed him. It was going to be the thing that God spoke to him through and that God was going to accomplish it. But notice it's, with my whole heart have I sought thee, let me not wander from thy commandments. Notice in verse 11, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We've hit this before, but I want to reiterate it uh, in this episode, is that he says he wants us to hide his word in our heart. And I believe that as good Bible-believing people, that we've helped children and adults alike to hide God's word in their mind. Mm -hmm. But we haven't really taught them how to meditate and encourage them and equip them and help them to meditate and think upon that word yeah. 
and as you were used the word earlier, critical thinking, critical thinking is not being negatively critical of things or people, right? but it's to think things through, and really it's to employ the law of contradiction and to not allow contradictions where uh, things are happening. Mm-hmm. And that's a law, it's becoming a lost art because we are not a thinking people in the West very much anymore. Not that there aren't thinkers, but there's fewer than there used to be. People used to consider things and think about things and meditate and muse on things and and let a thought marinate in their mind. Mm -hmm. And that's how we can allow the Holy Spirit when we marinate on the Word of God and let that just circle in our mind and ask the Holy Spirit to apply it to my life and to, Lord, how does this truth, how, how can this be implemented in the way I behave or in the way I run my family or I run my business or I have responsibility of leadership in the church or how yeah. does this apply? And it's when we think critically in the sense that we allow these things to marinate and and then allow the Holy Spirit to apply them in our life, it's that time that will keep us from sin. Because why? We've got God's Word being our lamp. It's lighting the path and saying, there's a big rock, walk around it. There's Mm -hmm. a cliff, turn right. There's whatever is before us, His Word lights it up and identifies the dangers, but it also identifies the path that, that our Savior wants us to go down. And so when we have this uh, interaction with his word, uh, which is where I was seeing a great disconnect in my own life, and once God taught me these things, it was so much more helpful to me to have direction, but it also gave me courage to stand. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't standing on, well, preacher so-and-so said, or you know, early on, I, I didn't really do much of a study on Bible translations and, and, the, and the direction that the Lord has led me. Uh, I now have a reasoned answer for why I use the version that I use and uh, why we uh, teach and preach from that at our church. When I was first in the ministry, it was, well, that's just what I've used. Mm-hmm. And that's not a really good reason. That's and what so, somebody else said. Because, yeah, somebody else told me. So now I have from God's Word and from my study to have that direction, and I can take a stand on those things, but I'm not taking a stand uh, just because somebody else did. Mm-hmm. But I have that conviction in my own heart, and I've been led to that by the Holy Spirit of God so that yeah. I can follow his leadership. This has been part one of this discussion about discipleship. We'll continue this discussion on next week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach out to us by email at generalorder4 at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R. Or on Twitter, at generalorder4. Please like, share, and subscribe.